being selected by Jenny Finch and her team for the book of the month is quite frankly one of the pinnacles of any writer's ambition. Don't ask me how I know this. I just do. Being selected by Jenny Finch and her team for the book of the month is quite frankly one of the pinnacles of any writer's ambition. Don't ask me how I know this. I just do. This month's book of the month is Never by Ken Follett. Never is the latest book by Welsh author Ken Follett. His first contemporary novel in over a decade, it explores the dangers of unforeseen consequences in an increasingly interconnected but fractured world. Opening in the Sahara Desert, where severe drought has destroyed the livelihoods of most of the inhabitants, it follows half a dozen independent stories that become increasingly interlinked. From a widowed mother desperate to escape to the West, the story moves to Abdul, an American operative searching for a hidden terrorist base. A little way across the Chad-Sudan border, an American peacekeeper is ambushed and killed with a rifle supplied by North Korea, triggering sanctions by the US. This event, far from the major powers, leads to a series of actions, each considered proportionate by their instigators, but provocative by the victims. The incident in the South China Sea could become a crisis, Chiang Kai thought, if it was not handled carefully. Satellite photos of Kai's desk showed an unknown vessel near the Shisha Islands, which Westerners called the Paracel Islands. Aircraft surveillance revealed it to be a Vietnamese oil exploration ship called Vu Trung Phung. This was dynamite, but the fuse did not have to be lit. Kai was familiar with the background, as was just about everybody in the Chinese government. Chinese boats had fished these waters for centuries. Now China had dumped millions of tons of earth and sand onto a group of uninhabitable rocks and reefs and then built military bases. Kai thought any fair-minded person would concede that this made the islands part of China. No one would care much about it except that oil had been discovered beneath the seabed near the islands, and everybody wanted some. The Chinese considered the oil to be theirs and were not planning to share. That was why the voyage of the Vu Trung Phung was a problem. Kai decided to brief the foreign minister himself. His boss, Security Minister Fu Chuyu, had gone out of town to Urumqi, capital of the Xinjiang region, where millions of Muslims stubbornly adhered to their religion despite the communist government's energetic efforts to repress it. Fu's absence gave Kai the opportunity to discuss the Vu Trung Phung quietly with Foreign Minister Wu Bai and agree a diplomatic course of action to be suggested to President Chen. But when he arrived at the Foreign Ministry in Chaoyang Men Nanji, he was dismayed to find General Huang there. Huang Ling was short and wide and looked like a box in his square-shouldered uniform. He was a proud member of the Communist Old Guard, like his friend Fu Chuyu. Also, like Fu, he smoked all the time. Huang's membership of the National Security Commission made him very powerful. Like the gorilla at the dinner party, he sat where he liked, and he had the right to muscle in anywhere in the foreign office. But who had told him about this meeting? Perhaps Huang had a spy in the foreign office, someone close to Wu. I must remember that, Kai thought. Despite his irritation, Kai greeted Huang with the respect due to an older man. 
We are privileged to have the benefit of your knowledge and expertise, he said insincerely. The truth was that he and Huang were on opposite sides in the rancorous, ongoing struggle between the old school and the young reformers. As they sat down, Huang immediately went on the attack. The Vietnamese keep provoking us, he exclaimed. They know they have no right to our oil. Moving from the Sudan-Chad border to North Korea and their allies in China, the White House and an illegal mine in the Sahara, never progresses in small, logical and entirely plausible steps towards the brink of ultimate conflict. Like all of Follett's books, never is meticulously researched, which makes it both more believable and more chilling. His characters, whether young idealistic Chinese spymasters, desperate refugees, or the President of the United States, come alive as real people. In a few carefully constructed sentences, Follett can give them background, motivation, and a sense of their ordinary lives, a rare skill that does not intrude on the story, but enhances it. By making the reader empathize with his characters, he ensures we care about the outcome, traveling hopefully to the final pages. President Green hated the cold. Growing up in Chicago, she might have got used to it, but she never did. As a little girl, she had loved school but hated getting there in the winter. One day, she had vowed she would live in Miami, where she had heard you could sleep on the beach. She never lived in Miami. She put on a big puffy down coat to walk from the residence to the West Wing at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning. As she passed through the colonnade, she thought about sex. Jerry had felt amorous last night. Pauline liked sex, but she was not driven by it, not since her early 20s. Jerry was the same, and their sex life had always been pleasant, but undramatic, like the rest of their relationship. Not anymore, she thought sadly. Something had gone wrong in her feeling towards Jerry, and she thought she knew why. In the past, she had always felt the reassuring sense that he had her back. They occasionally disagreed, but they never undermined one another. Their arguments were not angry because their conflicts did not run deep. Until now. Pippa was at the bottom of it. Their cute little baby had turned into mutinous adolescent, and they could not agree on what to do. It was almost a cliché. There were probably articles about it in the women's magazines that, that Pauline never read. She had heard that marital rows about how to raise the children were said to be the worst. Jared did not disagree with Pauline. He argued that the problem was her fault. Pippa needs to see more of her mother, he kept saying, when he knew perfectly well it was not possible. It made her feel sorry for them both. Until now, they had faced issues together and taken joint responsibility. She had been on Jerry's side and he on hers. Now he seemed to be against her. And that was what she had been thinking about last night, as Jerry lay on top of her in the four-poster bed that stood in the Queen's bedroom that had once been used by Queen Elizabeth II of England. Pauline had felt no affection, no intimacy, no arousal. Jerry had taken longer than usual, and she guessed that meant he, too, was feeling estranged. Pippa would get through this phase. Pauline knew. But would the marriage survive? When she asked herself that question, she felt despair. She arrived at the Oval Office shivering. Chief of Staff Jacqueline Brody was waiting for her, looking as if she had been up for hours. The National Security Advisor, the Secretary of State, and the Director of National Intelligence are hoping to speak to you urgently, Jacqueline said. They've brought the CIA's Deputy Director for analysis. Gus and Chess, the DNI and CIA nerd, 
While it's still dark on a Sunday morning, something's up. Pauline took off her coat. Show them in right away, she sat at the desk. Gus wore a black blazer and chess a tweed jacket. Sunday clothes. The director of national intelligence, Sofia Magliani, was more formal in a short jacket and black pants. The CIA man looks like a street person in jogging pants and well-used running shoes with a peacoat. Sophia introduced him as Michael Eyre, and Pauline recalled that she had heard of him. He spoke both Russian and Mandarin, and his nickname was Mickey Two Brains. She shook his hand and said, thank you for coming to see me. Morning, he said brilliantly. He gave the impression of having less than one brain, Pauline thought. Sophia noticed her cool reaction. Michael has been up all night, she said apologetically. Pauline did not comment. Sit down, everyone, she said. What's going on? Sophia said, it might be best if Michael explains. My opposite number in Beijing is a man called Cheng Kai, Hare began. He's a vice minister for foreign intelligence at the Guanbu, the Chinese secret service. Pauline did not have time for a lengthy narrative. You can cut to the chase, Mr. Hare, she said. Ken Follett has written a number of best-selling books, ranging from international thrillers, such as The Man from St. Petersburg, to the medieval epic, The Pillars of the Earth as well as a dozen standalone novels, of which never is the latest. He has produced several series, including the Medieval Kingsbridge series, five World War II thrillers, and the Century Trilogy that spans five families from the outbreak of World War I to the end of the 1980s. Like never, many are large in size, epic in scope, and could be overwhelming in the hands of a lesser writer. However, Follett is an assured storyteller, and his characters are strong enough to stand out without confusing the narrative. All of his books are the result of years of research, but he does not allow this to become obvious. The story is paramount, standing firmly on a solid bed of reality. To do this once is admirable, to manage it over and over and through such large books is more than impressive. Follett acknowledges the seeds for Nebla were sown when working on Fall of Giants, the first of the century trilogy. Describing World War I as the war no one wanted, he became acutely aware of the dangers surrounding international diplomacy and the risks posed by differing points of view. It is almost a literary version of chaos theory. The title can be read as never, it must never happen. It can also be interpreted as never free from the danger of mutual assured destruction. I enjoyed this book enormously and suggested it for book of the month several months ago. Looking at the world today, it is more feasible and more frightening than it was then. I had not read much by Ken Follett before, but I'm certainly now inspired to explore more of his work. There we are, another classic book of the month, uh, as ever delivered by uh, uh, Jenny Finch. And of course, with uh, readings and insertions, of course, by Kathy Manso. Kathy's actually having a lie down because of all the Chinese names we actually gave her to pronounce. Uh, but that's OK. She'll be back later on in the show to give us her little take on the whole system. And thankfully, we do have American representation still on the programme because to book of the month, we welcome back from North Carolina, Jessica Burtis. How are you, Jessica? 
I'm doing pretty well. How are you all? I think we're okay. At least we haven't pressed the button as yet. So, uh, but who knows whether we go to DEFCON 5, 4, 3, 2, or 1 during the course of this particular production. Uh, Rob Nichols, as ever, back with us and recovering, of course, from the um, the result of a, a certain side that used to be run by a Russian. Uh, but obviously, uh, we, we didn't sort of, uh, we don't acknowledge that. It was, for, for, for the information, Jessica, a side called Chelsea actually beat Middlesbrough 2-0 in the FA Cup uh, quarterfinal. And it was a bit of a bit of a problem, but never mind. We, we get on. Uh, Rob, let's go straight to yourself. What did you make of Ken Follett's Never? Well, my first... I first looked and thought, how many how many pages are in this book? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but then I I remember your words, Alex, when you when you said the book of the month and you said it's uh, you said it's a, it, you said how how easy it was to, to get through the, the pages and how you it is it is a complete page turner and and that, that is very much the case and and Jenny said the word chiller and looking at present things that are happening in the world it certainly is chilling and uh, <laughs> i'm just i'm just glad actually that we, we, we that the we, we, we as you say that the, the the links are between local and between um relationships and the, and and how things get out of hand in the world and i'm really glad that 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 where that the conflict here is usa and china and it's not it's not uh, anyone in russia because <laughs> it might have, that might have been too difficult to read um, but yeah, it's, it's a phenomenal book, and, and I think anyone, everyone, and anyone should read it, especially at the moment, because it, it does it does uh, have a lot to bear on the Ukraine situation, and it does actually show that, as as Jenny said again and again, it comes up the proportionate uh, that have to make a proportionate result um, a response, and and that is something that you it really does give you some understanding behind why. Um, NATO and are not intervening in in any other way in, in Ukraine rather than supplying arms and things like that. But it, it also makes you in, in, incredibly worried about where things could go because it has to be said that in the, without a, a spoiler, I suppose, is that China, the end game all the way through this is that China have less nuclear missiles than, than USA. And you always think to yourself, well, why is that important? And through this book, you realise why it's important, and of course, Russia has got far, far more nuclear uh, stock, far, far biggest nuclear stockpile than either China or USA. So <laughs> that makes me, it makes me even more concerned having read this book. Okay, uh, Jessica, from your own perspective, uh, how did you find it? I mean, I agree with Rob, actually. I did see it physically this week because Cathy uh, actually brought it into uh, the university and it could it could be a lethal weapon in itself, just the actual <laughs> physical size of the book. So <laughs> anyway, yeah. Je Jessica, how, how did you find it? Yeah, it was um, it was a long book, but I actually listened to the audiobook version um, because Audible has some really great audiobooks, and I actually really enjoyed that form of reading because I think with some of the languages in the book that I wouldn't have um, understood as well um, or been able to pronounce as well while reading it, like it was so interesting hearing it read out. Um, 
And I feel like there's a lot to be said about like listening to storytelling um, and how that can impact how you take in the story. But I actually really enjoyed it. I found it very easy to get through, even though it was 800 pages, it went by very fast. And I was, I read some reviews that said that people found it boring and um, kind of like plotting, but I disagree. I thought it was really interesting. Um, And I liked how it spans several different continents and that it was kind of showing how when global affairs happen, it's not just like one country or two countries that's involved. It's it's usually several things happening at once. Um, And I think it also is a good discussion about how when there is global conflict in a lot of cases, the people who are most impacted tend to be everyday people. They're the ones who would, you know, get like, in this in this story, they're the ones who end up dying um, while the leaders are able to, in most cases, kind of go underground or hide somewhere and aren't as impacted, even though they're the ones that are um, escalating the conflict over and over again. And I think that that's something that's, um, you know, we're seeing right now with the conflict between Russia and Ukraine with how um, it's the people in Ukraine that are having to stay behind to fight and can't leave that are really being affected. Um, and I also liked how so many different characters were introduced. Like I love large casts of characters and I feel like it was done very well in this and that they were each very individual people. And I liked that they had personal backstories and issues happening, but they were still very much present in the story. I don't feel like any of them were really skimmed over. Um, So I feel like the characters that had points of view were well done and well-rounded and that helped because I feel like it was just showing how all these people came to be involved in this nuclear conflict and it made it more realistic. Um, I liked that you had more perspective than just like one side. I like that they had characters from the U.S. and from China um, in this and from other countries so that it was um, it was interesting to see so many different points of view. And I think that that kind of helped the story feel more fleshed out. So that's just some of the reasons there why Trinity College Dublin will be delighted when you fly back across the Atlantic <laughs> to begin your master's degree there. So good, good, good stuff from that point of view. Um, I, like Janet, like uh, Jessica, actually had seen some of the negative reviews that were given uh, online. And uh, I, I took that before actually reading the book. And I thought, well, OK, we'll see. Is it a case of Ken Follett goes woke? Is he actually uh, putting in a whole range of boring things? But again, from my perspective, nothing could be further from the truth. It did actually work. It did raise those issues with respect to Chad, with respect to President Green, of course, uh, uh, presumably kind of channeling aspects of, of, of the Hillary Clinton that might have been, etc., or other areas within that field, although clearly marital disputes and disagreements there. And of course, the apparent normality and the way in which you have the family of the uh, the, the female who uh, uh, is, is featured in, in, in the Chad situation, whose name actually eludes me at present, but also the, uh, the Chinese soap opera star who's married to, again, the hero of, of the whole system. And that kind of tension that you get there and also the inbuilt challenges that one finds that because the ideology is so built in and so embedded, it's actually not necessarily the young people who cause the problems. It's the people who just can't see a better way, who are locked into past 
uh, ancient histories, whether that be related to uh, Taiwan, China, and any of the sort of aspects there. So I, I think a, a good moral of that. And as Follett, I think, has, himself has actually said, um, he was looking at it from the point of view of nobody really wanted the Great War or the First World War, but it just seemed to happen from his, his research. It just kind of occurred. Events got out of control, and then we had the Great War, uh, and, and that manifested. It was something I know Cathy will talk about this later, but she was also, she thought she, that he would have been referring more to the Second World War as opposed to the First World War. Uh, Jenny, um, you've heard the, the three viewpoints there, and, and obviously we've heard your own. Anything you'd like to pick up on from what's been said so far? I think it's been wonderfully covered. It's obvious everyone's actually read the book. That's brilliant. <laughs> I'm really impressed. <laughs> no, it's um, it is a complex book, and sometimes it's sometimes you might think there are too many characters, but I think he handles them very well, and they're distinctive enough that they actually give a flavour to each segment, and yet those individual points of view help to lock it together into one picture. I think it's very very skillfully done. And I was, uh, as I said, I was particularly impressed that although it's very well researched, he doesn't let the research show. He doesn't stand up and go, look how clever I am. I know all about. But he uses that to move the story forward. And the story is, is paramount and the story is a very good one. Difficult to even talk about favourite characters because there are obviously so many of them from that point of view. But Rob, were there any particular characters that stood out in terms of you thought, actually, yes, they, they, they coped well or, or they, they, they were well described or they, they were trying to do their best. Yeah, um, it was, do you pronounce the name Tamara? The, 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 the CIA operative in Chad did, was, was a phenomenally, she was phenomenally well organised for one thing and, um, and very heroic as well and very clear thinking. And then Kai, was it, in, in, in China, who again managed to was was tremendously good at thinking on his feet, and that's what you got with all these people. They were able to they were able to have a conversation with somebody else and get the hidden meanings behind it. And 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 as as Jenny said, Ken Follett wasn't wasn't being clever in that way. He kind of showed us how how they got that meaning without without it, it, it seeming in any. It, it, it seemed obvious when, when the, the way it came across, but. So we, we, we got some understanding of, um, of of espionage, I suppose, and but as well uh, uh, di diplomacy. And I always also liked that you had you had sort of checks and balances within countries. You had um, you had the the American president constantly worried about what a, a running rival was was talking about on on TV. And obviously we we saw so much of that um, with with the Trump years. But then in China you've got you've got the military. The, the, and you've got the different. The, the, you've got the uh, the old guard and 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 the, uh, the young, uh, and 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 that's something that um, it's very actually very instructive. I think um, about about Chinese thinking and about how Chinese the Chinese react to things. And obviously, we China have been centre stage in the world of COVID, right right around the world. And, and and through COVID, we've seen how interlocked everything is around the world, haven't we? We've seen how. Uh, 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 and, and it seemed like in some ways a very small planet in the way that something's starting in, in China. Rob, well, Rob, it's very back in the day when we have actually linked up yeah. North Carolina with Tipperary, with Middlesbrough for the book of the month, for anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's a really, really important book to, um, to read this year. 
and uh, <laughs> um, I just just hope we can. Um, I'm, I'm just hope that that, that um, matters don't get out of hand in Ukraine, and we don't we don't have some sort of World War Three that we don't get to that level. Um, but it, yeah, it, it it is very interesting because for me, I think the, the uh, and lesson from this book, uh, one lesson from this book, and one lesson from the Ukraine is that um, the, the 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 idea of of um, of having nuclear weapons and the, the 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 I think it's gone. It's showing that it, it, it's it's far from uh, um, preventing countries coming to, to into conflict. It's it's actually the it's actually the reverse now. It's actually it's actually a real cause of, of concern, and I think that's what comes across some, somehow. And especially with the uh, President Green talking to her daughter when she's trying to explain all these situations, it just shows that it's it's a it's a folly now. Uh, I was particularly keen on uh, the, the character of Abdul. I felt that he's, he's almost James yeah. Bond-esque characters and, and the way he managed to uh, successfully uh, escape from the uh, the slave labour camp uh, and the gold mine. I thought that was that was very much an... I mean, it, it is a movie. And I also, I think, it, there were areas which channeled for me Herman Woke's World, uh, World War II epic series. I think there were elements within that where you're looking at different elements, different families and different challenges within those families. Jessica, your own favourite characters or people who kind of stood out? Yeah, it would definitely be Kia and Abdul. Um, I think that both of them were such strong characters and I think they were strong in different ways. Um, but I their storyline was so interesting whenever either of their perspectives came into play. And I think... Um, they they were the two that I was just really rooting for and was really scared that something would would happen to in the end. Um, and just seeing how they kind of grew together and worked together, even though they came from very different backgrounds, I really enjoyed their characters and I thought that they were done very well. Um, I could have kept reading about them more throughout the whole book. Um, and I think I, I liked how... Um, Kia especially was kind of introduced as she wasn't a politician or anything like that. She wasn't a spy or on a mission like so many of the other characters. She didn't have any political power. She was somebody who was kind of being pulled around by um, the other influences around her. And yet she was kind of just carving out this path of her own. And I think that that was really important to see. I think that it made it a lot more realistic than just every character being um, some high-flying politician or um, having a lot of power and Abdul is just he's just heroic and he was just just a good person I feel like he was just a very good humble person and um, someone who has very strong morals and is very kind and I, I just love seeing them together. It's particularly interesting how well, I suppose there were also experiences from their own backstories of racism and all sorts of ways tomorrow of course was she going to be accepted by her her, her boyfriend's family as they were they were french there was issues with respect to that but i thought again provided some some uh, wonderful um not just backstory but i suppose a, a mosaic of, of characters and, and folk within that of course to answer your question jessica presumably in the the follows universe uh they've been blown up and they've basically sort of all gone because the, the whole world is actually <laughs> oh, no. they're, they're existing in a post-apocalyptic uh, scenario but you know, it's a possibility jenny your favorite characters um i agree kira and abdullah are 
lovely and they they carried a lot of the hopeful story through. I was particularly fascinated by um, the young Chinese characters and particularly, I can't remember his name, the young, the young spy master, who in theory had an enormous amount of power and influence. And you could see it gradually slipping away as the old guard stepped in. And that sense of helplessness that I felt for him and he must have felt. And you look at it and you think it's actually like that in a lot of places in the world where the old guards step in and they slam down the doors and any good you might have done is gone and you can just sit there and watch helplessly if you're allowed to even live long enough to watch helplessly. And I found that absolutely fascinating, slightly depressing, but fascinating. And of course, echoes in the current situation with respect to, to Russia and uh, its uh, responses to people who dare to actually criticise the uh, military operation and denazification process that's taking on there. You can tell I'm actually using the right terms, just in case anybody wants to actually censor a book of the month <laughs> across uh, the, uh, the, the European areas. Um, any final points, Rob, you want to make before we go for the scores? I suppose seeing here at Ayrson Park, Alex, is, is somewhere that I've shown... I've shown around the the North Korean foreign minister around <laughs> Ayrson Park. He was he was uh, he, he was pretending not to be the foreign minister, but we we've uh, we've come into a lot of contact with North Korea in Middlesbrough, and 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 so it's 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 really interesting to to look at the at the prior state and and what could happen from that. And yeah, you're right about that. The, 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 that Chinese operative, he was called. He was called Kai, wasn't he? I think yes, he was. But he, yes, he, he, he came close, didn't he? Many times, he came close to yeah, saving the yeah. world, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, like hitting the crossbar several times in the course of a yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but it, it did show, didn't it? Show it, it showed uh, nationalism and pride constantly thwarted him and and, th and thwarted whatever diplomatic efforts uh, and and. So there's, a, there's so many lessons to be learned, I think, from this book. <laughs> At times I was frustrated by the portrayal of, of President Green. I felt that, in essence, maybe they'd, they'd gone too far into some of the, the domestic scenarios that uh, she was faced with and the challenge. And indeed, we took a reading to kind of illustrate that to a point. But for me, the most irritating person was probably the um, uh, South Korean uh, uh, head of state. I think she uh, obviously you just wanted to say, look, don't do this, you silly person. Do not do this. <laughs> Unification of Korea. It's not worth mm. it. There mm. we are. Uh, again, it just goes when you make a land grab, uh, what potential things can actually work through. Uh, Jessica, likewise, any, any closing points from yourself? I just feel like there is so much more that we could say about this book. And there are so many smaller characters that I would want to talk about, like the um, the American informant who would kind of talk to Kai. I thought he was hilarious. Um, I It's not in the story, but I just like to picture him wearing a cowboy hat and sunglasses the whole time. <laughs> that just made it so much funnier. <laughs> just, he, he was great. I really liked him. Um, I think one thing that irked me, though, that I just could knock it over was that like subplot where President Green's, um, one of her um, politicians ended up having an, um, he, was, he was having an affair with a 16 year old teenager. And I really hated that. Um, yeah, why? Why? <laughs> yeah, why was that necessary? Yeah, exactly. I, and I hated that President Green, when he said, oh, she's the love of my life, she was like, I know. And she felt sympathy for him, even though she fired him. I don't know why Ken Follett decided to add that in. Um, yeah. That really irked me. <laughs> I yeah. couldn't get over yeah. that. But otherwise, but, the story was great. 
Yeah, you and me both, actually, Jessica. You know, it was the time when I thought, you know, that was when I was saying, oh, for goodness sake, let's let's go back. Let's see what's happening in Chad. Let's see what's happening in China. Yeah. You know, <laughs> enough of this. You know, Jenny, closing thoughts for yourself. Yeah, I was very irritated with the whole portrayal of President Green. I felt that um, essentially she was portrayed as a much weaker president um, who was pulled backwards and forwards by emotions, much more than a male president might have been. Uh, there were some very good, strong female characters in this book, but she wasn't one of them. And I think that was a pity. Um, but then it might not have, the, the story might not have worked so well without her. So there you go. Wasn't she very good, though? She was very good at, at certain times in, in coming up with solutions and thinking on her feet in those meetings and, and to bring people together. But I, I felt that it, it was kind of one of the realities of, of, of American, that the, the political circus with, the, with Fox and everything like that, it, it, it brought that to bear, didn't it? That, that you yeah, haven't got yeah. any sort of um, every, every media... Every every media angle, I've got their own angle. So it was it it's um uh, and and the president's constantly looking over the shoulder at the ratings all the time. It, it, so it was interesting to look at the different systems and to see that in in the end that none of the presidents could actually stand up. They're, they're, they're always looking over the shoulder, whether in China looking at the military or um, the dear leader or beloved leader, whatever in North Korea with with. <laughs> yeah. with uh, and, and obviously South, South Korea, as you said, um, her making um, horrendous errors. But we've seen we've seen all those sort of things, haven't we, around the world? We've seen in in, in, in this country people putting flags on rocks in the middle of the, at the Atlantic, and and it's certainly definitely happened between Japan and and um, and Korea and Japan and, and and China, each claiming little little uh, fishing grounds and and rocks and and, and putting flags and then. And it's just what you said, Jenny, that it's incredible where, where people try and react in a proportionate way and what is proportionate and, and how it puts somebody's face out and how they've got to, they've got to then react for their public. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the, the right word you said was chilling. So from this little segment, then before we find out what Cathy Manso makes of the whole thing, let's go around the team and go for our scores. Rob, what would you give this out of 10? Nine out of ten. Jessica, I give an eight out of ten. Do you know I'm I'm also going eight. I think uh, I was going eight eight point five eight. Yeah, I think President Green basically pulled it down by a good percentage point. I'm afraid that her ratings, you know, and some of the activities, and also some of her marital well, her marital choice, and of course the daughter who was obviously portrayed as being on drugs. That's not good. You know, there are all sorts of issues there that obviously impacted on the score for me, Jenny. Um. Eight and a half there for roughly go. the same reasons as you. <laughs> Next month, uh, we have got something which is real life, genuine real life, not just DEFCON 54321. Jenny, would you like to reveal the choice of the book of the month, which hopefully will, will put us in a much more positive frame of mind throughout, really, despite the challenges we're faced with? Yeah, next month's book is in stark contrast. We will be exploring the Book of Joy by the Dalai Lama, and Archbishop Desmond Tutu with Douglas Abrams. So we're going to talk now to Cathy Manso about what she made of Never, having obviously uh, recovered from those wonderful Chinese names, which you did extremely well, Cathy. So let's get to the text, let's get to the meat of the matter. What did you make of this Ken Follett opus? 
I mean, I really loved it. It it was exactly as promised. It was 800 pages, but never stopped turning the page. Uh, I was completely involved with all the stories. And I actually thought all the stories could be their own successful books if they wanted to be. Because uh, you're just jumping so much from one group who's in Chad to another group who's in China to another group who's in the U.S. And with with those things, I mean, it definitely made it more entertaining and probably is what kept me going from one chapter to the next. But I would have loved more details from each of these groups. So an even longer book than 800 pages. This was the message, of course, that originally I think a few people panicked. I said, have you seen the size of this book? It's a lethal weapon in itself, really. But I think we would generally agree that it is to use that cliche, a page turner. You actually start it and you do tend to move fairly rapidly and Follett has managed to master this art of really progressing through the narrative and not really leaving too many flabby bits in between, really. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's probably why I thought it could be multiple books. I mean, you could make this a whole series if you wanted to. Hint, hint. Uh, <laughs> but it's... What, you mean the post-apocalyptic uh, never? <laughs> yes. The what happens DEFCON 1 plus We zero. need to know. <laughs> we need to know. <laughs> Let's talk characters because uh, it's fair to say that uh, I think Robin Nich- Rob Nichols was very keen on President Green and felt that uh, compare- in comparison to certain US presidents, she actually did a, a very capable job. But there's a part of me which said maybe there was a little bit too much focus on her personal life. Maybe, as we were saying in a previous discussion, there was a kind of riff on the Clinton era and the challenges that you faced there, although that's not to suggest in any way, shape or form that Chelsea Clinton ever had any issues with respect to trying uh, recreational drugs, of course. (laughs) She was rebellious, though. You can't deny. So were the Bushes. (laughs) But it's that whole... It's it's a it's a lot to take in because I have a feeling the person that I put in my head to help with the imagery of who this president would be was the same uh, who p- played the president in Don't Look Up. Uh, <laughs> so Meryl Streep. Yes, I was envisioning Meryl Streep, <laughs> and I don't. It's not to say that the characters are very similar or anything like that, but you could see that they're what's taking up a lot of their thought process isn't exactly. Oh, am I? Uh, is like the country or war or politics. I mean, it is a concern and they do consider it and they don't want to make, uh, they want to prevent war at any given time if possible. But at the same time, they are distracted, uh, especially with love and their family, which is fair because if you are any person, I guess these are the things we're all thinking about at a certain point. Speak about love, of course, uh, it's demonstrated across the board, really, whether it's uh, Tamara uh, and uh, the essence of uh, Abdul and, and, and uh, his uh, relationships and his, his battle through that, uh, whether it's Kai, of course, in, uh, in China and uh, his uh, soap opera starring wife uh, and, of course, uh, somewhat staid parents. But having said that, the challenge with some of the parents and views is you could actually end up in all sorts of strange ways. There was this sense that actually somehow... Uh, the old order, the old school, still embedded in a situation and almost a generational battle at times where Kai in particular, I think I defy anybody not to have sympathy with him who basically could see the whole world going to heck in a handbasket and he was effectively sidelined and unable to do anything about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of the theme I saw with each of these groups of characters, you know, that there were things out of their control and even the things they did have control in kind of forced them in a position to take a side seat. Uh, not always, of course, they they did have pivotal moments, but especially when you're looking I, the whole point of this story, especially the more you read on, is you're like, nothing's ever too small. Everything's going to be relevant at a certain point. And I think 
what was nice about reading this was that they were discovering it as well as the reader was discovering it. So in that kind of way, it's kind of hard to say what is the right or wrong thing to do. And especially as you were saying earlier, between the generations, like you kind of have uh, older characters that are kind of explaining, well, this is how it's been done. This is how it has been done. This is how we've been able to do things. Like if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of mentality. And you have the younger ones being like, no, I see a problem. Also with the theme of climate change being a big aspect of it too. I think you saw a lot more of the differences in opinion when it came to younger characters and older characters. Um, most, most frustrating character for me, um, I have to say, the president of South Korea. Why? 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 Can you not see what you're doing on that particular basis? Um, very frustrating because in so many ways that was the tipping point, I think, which led to the apocalyptic scenario that Follett so ably describes in this text. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would agree with you. That's definitely my least favorite character. Well, especially since I feel like a lot of the people who are reading it, including myself and maybe even you, uh, when you're reading it, you know you wouldn't have made the choices or at least spoken up about some <laughs> things that are happening without revealing too much about the story uh, <laughs> where this person he he goes out of his way to do the things you would have done the opposite uh, <laughs> and then you have a whole team of people that are trying to like make this okay and this team is happening all over the across the globe but it's like it just comes to show you that one person uh, even extremely disliked can really truly have a huge influence and Follett was quite explicit in the opening sequence that he really was bundling this on the outbreak of the, the Great War as it was referred to because clearly uh, there wasn't any thought of a sequel uh, to the Great War in 1914-1918 the fact that it was more stumbled into as opposed to yeah there's a specific sort of rationale and reason for that do you feel that's a lesson we still need to take away from us today as we look at the horrendous situations that we see in a global environment i mean it's a it's it's hard to say but if there's one thing i can say for certain history kind of repeats itself you know whether this book was inspired as earlier mentioned with the great war world war one right that's where a lot of this inspiration comes from uh it and research it's also seen in a variety of other wars i mean when i was reading this story i was thinking about more uh, Bay of Pigs with the red phone like I was thinking about that line between all these countries and if someone makes the wrong move you're going to have inevitable destruction you got Khrushchev you got Castro you got Kennedy exactly. where are you going to go <laughs> exactly and then thankfully no one did anything I mean no one did anything big <laughs> and then that seemed to keep everything calm and that was kind of where this book was going with like everyone's kind of standing still for just a moment and there seems to be hope but it just takes one person to do something big enough and everyone has to respond because it's whether it's like saving face uh pride or if it's just like representation of a nation that's not supposed to be humiliated or they need to show strength there there's a hundred reasons uh for anything but like that's the bigger reason why something has to move forward we don't recognize the humanity and the rest of the 7 billion people who are actually sharing the planet with us, which is uh, uh, a thing which we'll be returning to in the April book of the month. But uh, more of that uh, later as we head into the Dalai Lama and, of course, the uh, wonderment of the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu. OK, favorite character, Kathy. Oh, I love Abdul. He's my favorite, especially just the story with the mother and the, uh, who's nursing her son and like they're you know twist of fate they end up on the same same bus same transport and they kind of have to go into this journey i mean that's the story i really want to hear more about i want i want short stories about that please author please <laughs> but uh and if i had to give a second favorite 
Uh, it'd probably be uh, Tamara, the yeah. recently turned 30-year-old <laughs> who's in the middle of Chad trying to figure things out, but everyone's going against her. Yeah. <laughs> so President Green, not necessarily in the, in, in the text there, and certainly not Tamara's boss in terms of the Secret Service agency. Oh, oh you mean Dexter? Mm. Absolutely not. <laughs> He's probably my second least favorite. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> okay, a score out of 10, what are you going to give it? I give it a solid 8. I mean, I think a lot of people would be into this, uh, whether you're into current politics now or if you're a little bit aware of history or if you just kind of like things resembling something similar to current events. <laughs> Solid eight.